spirit. Uh, specifically joy. Last Sunday morning we took just a little detour and combined the theme of joy with grief. And uh, that passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, where for a little while you're in heaviness, but in spite of that, rejoice with exceeding joy. And if you read on through the rest of that passage, it talks about joy unspeakable, inexpressible kinds of joy, loving the Lord Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, yet you love and rejoice with inexpressible joy. You've heard about the love at first sight. Well, this is love sight unseen. Having not seen, yet you love. And because of the love relationship that exists between you, you can, in, you can express or attempt to express what is inexpressible kind of joy. Wouldn't it be nice to have that kind of joy going on inside of us? Uh, that kind of joy happening within his church? And I think at times that, that experience is fresh and new at our conversion. But because of circumstances, difficulties, other kinds of things that kind of rob us of our joy. And I think we need to have the Holy Spirit constantly infusing us with that supernatural ability to produce what is not there naturally. And I think at times we are trying to reproduce it physically or naturally when we must acknowledge the fact that if it's to be at all, it must be a miracle of God. It must be something that is produced of the Spirit. The fruit of the flesh can't even come near producing the Spirit of God. It's got to be supernatural. It is the product of the Spirit of God. Let's look at this last verse. We won't take the time to read the whole thing, but from verse 7, David says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasure at your right hand. King James says it a little more familiar perhaps to us. We've quoted that version so often and so long. In his presence is, come on, say it with me, fullness of joy, and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In his presence there is fullness of joy. Now don't, don't uh, edit that at all. Make it say what the Holy Spirit intended it to say. Not partial joy, some joy, a little joy, but fullness of joy. And at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I need to go back a bit and just restate the obvious to you. We've talked about being made in the image of God. In his likeness, in his image. God is capable of anger. And because God has that emotion being made in his image, we also have the capacity to experience that emotion. 
There are certain guidelines, certainly, that we follow in expressing that emotion. It's not just uh, expressed anyway and at any time, but it is, it is a, 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 a power that God has given us like himself. And so last week we talked about grief and that being very much an emotion of God. That the heart of God is grieved, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God by which you are sealed even to the day of redemption. So that, that emotion is something that is like God and because God has the capacity to grieve being made in his likeness and his image, we also have that capacity to grieve. We need to appreciate the fact that God experiences great joy. He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And he speaks to us, my joy I give unto you, and my peace I give unto you. So God is a God who experiences joy. There's joy in heaven over one sinner that repentance. Even the angels in heaven rejoice, and I believe the heart of the Father is delighted as well. The Bible is just filled with the fact that God experiences joy, being made in his image, his likeness. That's why we can experience joy. I am made in his likeness, and what he has capability of being and doing, I have also the same capabilities of being and doing because I have been made in his image and in his likeness. God is a God who enjoys pleasure. It is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What gives God pleasure? Giving. It is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And there's the offerings of praise that ascend to God. The Bible very clearly says that it is a sweet-smelling savor that pleases God. And so our praise is to the pleasure of the Lord. And so many portions of Scripture indicate that God has this capability being made in his image and his likeness. I also have the capacity and the possibility of having pleasure. God created me like himself. And so I get angry, like God gets angry. I grieve, like God grieves. I have joy and peace, like God has. And I also have pleasure because I am made in God's image and his likeness. Any one of these areas of life can be twisted and distorted and mutilated, and that's what the enemy has come to do. Take everything that God has created good and make it to be something other than what God intended it to be. That's called sin. That's why the gospel is, if we bring that broken part to God, he can fix it and make it function again the way he wanted it to function when he made man in the beginning. So that's why uh, there's good news for us today. There's a place we can bring all of our brokenness and all of the affected parts to God and he is the master craftsman who made us in the beginning. He has, he has the manual. He can fix anything. He can fix anything. And so it is God's nature that, that we enjoy. It is his pleasure, his capacity for joy and for pleasure. We're going to talk about that for just a few moments this morning. And to note, first of all, that... Uh, his presence is a key to this passage. 
in his presence is fullness of joy. Anything that separates you from his presence is going to affect your joy. Now, I won't say many things profound this morning, so you better get that one. It's real right up close to the front end of this message. Anything that will separate you from his presence will affect your joy. And so the, the enemy then will attack us at that vulnerable point, and if he can keep us from the presence of God, he can keep us then from experiencing the joy. When David sinned, what did he say? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Anything that separates me from the presence of God separates me from the joy that, that I need to have. He said, abide in me, and my word abide in you. And then you read the rest of that, he talks about experiencing joy and having it to the full. And so our abiding in the Lord, abiding in the vine, as the branch abides in the vine, something is produced of the nature of that vine through the branch. And so as I abide in the Lord, the fruit of the Spirit is produced in me. It is not something that, that I can reproduce by myself. The, the, the danger is that we try to recreate the pleasure without the presence. Let me say that's profound too, and you need to catch that little nugget. We, if we're not careful, will substitute human effort or some other means that provides a temporary sensation for the reality of the presence and the pleasure of God. Anything that will separate us from his presence affects our joy. And the tendency is, when that's missing, to try to make it happen some other way. Can I say to you, there's no other substitute except the presence of God. There's a verse of scripture that's found in, in the book of John, and let me give it to you so maybe you can... Uh, you may want to write it down. I think it's found in John chapter 16, verse 24. I'm going to take the time to, to find that and read it because it's a, it's a very important part of what I want to say today. John 16, 24. Do you have that? I'll give you a moment to find that. Maybe mark it because it's basic, but it's important. John 16, 24. You'll find it in red letter because Jesus is the one that's speaking to us. Verse 23, if you're finding it, I'll read that verse. In that day, you, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, and your joy will be complete. Now, can I say not only the presence of God, but prayer is a real key to maintaining a high level or completeness of joy? Isn't that what the words of Jesus say? And again, don't edit it at all. He is saying, until now, you haven't asked anything, but now you might ask in my name, ask the Father anything in my name, and that he will provide for you that your joy might be complete. Now, let me suggest to you the presence of God and one wonderful way that we enjoy the presence of God is in prayer and asking God, 
making requests of God, making petitions of God. We are encouraged by Jesus to ask. And he said, there's nothing that's going to renew and restore your joy like having him supply supernaturally an answer to prayer. Now, you've experienced that, and so I don't have to talk too much to you about the fact that when you have had a problem that you couldn't solve, you brought to God, and he supernaturally brought the answer. What did you feel? Can you remember? Can you identify this morning the joy? There's something that you couldn't have, you couldn't have shot in your veins or poured down your throat that could have made you feel better than that answer to prayer. And he's saying prayer is a real key to, to elevating your joy like the presence of God and prayer. Can I say this to you? Pray a lot. A lot of prayer, a lot of joy. Little prayer, little joy. No prayer, no joy. A lot of prayer, a lot of joy. Why? Because you're getting lots of answers. Little prayer, little joy. No prayer, no joy. So what we try to do is provide a synthetic, and there's a lot of synthetic joy in the church. There's a lot of synthetic joy in the church because we're not willing to say there's no substitute for his presence, and there's no substitute for prayer. There's no substitute for his presence. Anything that separates me from his presence, if I'm not living and walking in the presence of God, it won't matter how many songs I sing. It won't, it won't matter what, what uh, calisthenics I do. It won't matter how I try to produce a synthetic joy. It's the only thing that will do that is a repair of the presence of God and an operation of prayer within my life. As God begins to answer supernaturally, there will come the reality of the fruit produced by the Spirit of God, which is His very nature and character being lived out in me. What is the fruit of the Spirit? That personality of the of the divine creator who put us together initially that's able to express his emotions out through us? Hallelujah. I like that, don't you? The possibility and, and capability of reproducing through me his own likeness and nature and character is reproduced in me the joy and the peace that passes understanding. It's not something I can produce myself. Not something I can reproduce, but it is supernatural. In his presence, there's fullness of joy at his right hand. There's pleasure forevermore. God made us to enjoy life. I was surprised to find there was a statement made about Jesus. And it reads a little different in the King James, Matthew eleven nineteen says, Jesus came eating and drinking and so forth. Philip's translation said, Jesus came enjoying life. I like that. I think that was true. I don't think Jesus was a dull person. I don't think Jesus missed anything. I think the Lord 
in the kind of lifestyle that he lived because he was never apart from the presence of the Father and he was constantly in prayer, I don't think the Lord missed any of the pleasure of life. Uh, he came enjoying life. Now, the problem becomes when the enemy is allowed to attack us at the point where, where the fruit is produced. At the point where the fruit is produced and uh, he tries to poison our pleasure. Anything that God has laid down as a, as a prohibition in his word or a precept in his word is there designed to protect and preserve the fruits of God. Would you agree? There's so many people who don't become Christians because they have an attitude of, of thinking, well, I've got to give up all my fun. If I become a Christian, to be spiritual is to be miserable. So, so I can't afford to, to, to serve God because if I, if I become a Christian then I've got to give up all my fun. That's just simply not true to the Word of God. That's a distortion of the truth of the Word of God. In fact, God made us to enjoy life. He has freely given us, richly given us everything to in... Isn't that what the Bible says? He says, now rich people don't trust in your riches, trust in God because He's the source of real joy. He's the source that provides you. Money can only supply some of this. He can supply it all. You can buy some things, but you can't buy other things. And so the Holy Spirit is saying in that passage, now those of you who have, have wealth, that's fine, but don't put your trust in that. Some things money can't buy you, and the real joy in life comes by the only one that can supply it, and that's God. So he's saying it's fine to have the... The, the, the resources, but don't put your trust there because it's very limited in what it can provide you. But he has given us richly or freely all things. Let me give you the verse of that. I kind of quoted it and uh, paraphrased it. First Timothy 6, 17 in the NIV says, Command those. That's my job this morning. That's what God has asked me to do. Command those which are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Isn't that good? Wow, I could read that again. I have a command to give you this morning. If you're rich in this present world, don't be arrogant or put your hope in wealth. It's so uncertain. Put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God is not in the business of taking away our joy. He is in the business of reproducing or producing joy in us. Because He is capable. He has made us with the same capability. The enemy will take it, twist it, distort it, make it sin. Isn't that something? Isn't that amazing what the devil will take that God made good and, and make it to be something other than what God intended for it to become? In the uh, 
17th century Voltaire. Some of you recognize that name. A, a philosopher said, and I quote, pleasure is the object, the duty, and the goal of every rational creature. Now what does that do to what God created good? It made it to be something other than what God intended for it to be. Instead of something that was good, he made it his what? God. Pleasure was intended to be good, not, not my goal, not my God. Pleasure was intended to, to help me serve God, not that I would serve it. And Voltaire was simply saying, let me say it again, pleasure is the object, the duty, and the goal of all rational creatures. I disagree with that. Violently disagree with that. That's hedonism. If there's a cult in America today, that's it. If there is a cult today in America, that's it. If there is a spirit that has invaded the church today, that's it. And we're settling for that when we could have what God would supply. It was never meant to be my goal. It was never meant to be my God. It was meant as a, as a means by which I could enjoy God. A good thing. Satan turns into a goal. It has become the ultimate value in American life. And many people are having fun. Or just that having fun is their God. You know these these verses, but I believe they're prophetic of our day. For 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 4, the NIV, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, bestial, not lovers of the good, but treacherous, rash, conceited. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Now God made us that way. But he didn't make us to love pleasure. He made us to love himself. What's the first commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. He never intended something good to become our goal or become our God. And we're living, I believe, in the fulfillment of this prophecy in the last days where men love pleasure more than or rather than loving God. If you want to know what the end result of living life solely for pleasure is read the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon wrote this in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, I deny myself nothing my eyes desire. I refuse my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward of all my labor. Yet when I survey all that my hands have done, while I've toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, and chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. 
I denied myself no pleasure. That became the goal of my life. Sad commentary, a testimonial that says to us several hundreds and thousands of years later, that's just missing it totally and completely. Two things are wrong with making pleasure your God. One, there's the law of diminishing returns. And self-indulgence leads to despair, not to joy. Self-indulgence leads to despair, not to joy. The law of diminishing returns says the more you repeat something, the more you have to repeat it to experience the same degree of pleasure. There's a law of diminishing returns. Number two, the law of balance. Too much of any good thing ruins it. We need balance. Part of what makes pleasure what it is is because it is balanced against work and other things. If everything was pleasure, soon pleasure would not be pleasure. The reason that you enjoy part of what you're doing is because you're not doing that all the time. It may be as strenuous as other things you do, but it becomes a recreation for you. But how many know if it's just recreation, you ought to be recreated by now. But recreation is a way of God bringing back to the full creation what has been depleted, and so God allows for times of refreshing in his presence. But we can't just live in a state of refreshing. God has work for us to do. The refreshing is wonderful. And revival kind of thing is wonderful. But God never intended us to live on that mountain. Because in the valley there are demon oppressed and possessed people. Who need to have the power of God to set them free. And so there's a refreshing time that the church needs when it comes together to recreate and restore what has been depleted, but we can't live there. That's not what God intended. He wants us to strap on the, the whole armor of God and go confront the adversary and the enemy on the battlefield, the battleground. God gives us victory. And the seasonal refreshing means so much more to us as it is balanced against and the problem the church faces again is imbalance. Is that we want just one thing, one thing. Ice cream is good, but I tell you what, even Brewster's, you'd get sick of that if you had it every meal. Is that right, Judy? You know what I'm saying? Ice cream's wonderful, but boy, if you had to eat that for breakfast and dinner and supper and before you went to bed pretty soon. You know, I, I, between my junior and senior year in, in college, I, I worked in a bakery in upstate New York, a Jewish bake, bake shop. And the first day in, you know, man, there was everything. Man, raspberry horns and cupcakes and, and those brown and white cookies, everything you would want, pound cakes. And this wise little man said eat whatever you want eat whatever you want as much as you want and there was a there was a cooler there with with uh, cartons of milk and he said 
just take just take a quart of milk and just help yourself. Well, man, the first couple of days, we took him at his word. I started at two o'clock in the morning and and went till into the afternoon, and so there were several meal times that uh, I, I didn't even pack a lunch. Man, everything you needed was right there. After about four days, I didn't want to smell that bakery. Just walking in made me gag. I didn't want anything. To this day, you know what? I'm beginning to develop a taste for it again. But you hear what I'm saying. The devil is just feeding us force, feeding us pleasure until while you're fed up with that, you try something a little more. And you get fed up with that and you have to try something more. There's a law of diminishing returns and there's a law of balance that I think we miss. Let me put you through the stages of what the enemy will walk us through in, in bringing about the distortion of God's provision. Number one is the fascination stage. I've never heard of anyone who said, I plan to be a drug addict. I plan to be an alcoholic. I plan, I plan to do this. It is a fascination. I wonder what it would feel like to do this, to eat this, to drink this, to snort this, to smoke this, to shoot this. I wonder what it would be like. There's a fascination. And so the, the enemy grabs hold of young people and older people with a fascination. I wonder what it would be like. And so there's a fascination stage that he attracts our attention for that moment and uh, to just, just try it. Then the second stage is preoccupation. There is a preoccupation stage. The, the pleasure has a tendency to preoccupy. Any pleasure has a tendency to preoccupy. If you try something the first time, in that fascination stage, the next time, you'll want to stay longer and you'll want to do more. And so there's a, a preoccupation. It isn't long until it begins to dominate and control your thinking. Almost everything you do or say, this is a part or occupies part of your thinking. Fascination, preoccupation, number three, addiction. It begins to control you. You do not control it anymore. So what began with a fascination becomes a preoccupation preoccupation becomes an addiction. Instead of being able to say no to it, you cannot say no to it. You make plans around it, your day, your night, everything surrounds it. There is an addiction, you cannot control it. Now it is dominating your life. And every choice and decision you make is affected by that. The last stage is destruction. And I take this from Philippians 3.19, their future is eternal loss for their God is their appetite whose end is destruction whose God is their stomach whose glory is their shame who mind earthly things fascination turns into preoccupation preoccupation becomes addiction addiction then brings about destruction and many in our country are in phase three would you agree? Many people in our country are in phase three. They are 
in an addictive state. I just pulled some of these off, off the, uh, the covers of news magazine. U.S. News and World Report headline says, American addicted to addictions. Newsweek cover magazine says, afflicted and addicted support groups for the American. 50 million Americans. Another one says, addicted to pleasure, hour by hour crack, addictive personalities, and so forth. Just coming off of the major news stands of our day today. Much of our world is living in phase three, starting with some preoccupation, some fascination, preoccupation, addiction, and then unless God undertakes destruction, whose end is destruction. You see, we have an adversary this morning. We have an enemy today who takes what God provided to be good and twists it and distorts it and makes it something God never intended it to be. He made us with the capacity to enjoy and, and, and to have pleasure like he is. But he never intended that to be our goal or our God. He just meant it to be good. And God sets down laws in his word to preserve and protect the fruit. Satan will try to draw you away to poison what God made good. We have to be aware and, and understand what he's up to. The ability to say, or the inability to say no, is addiction. The inability to say no is addiction. First Peter 4, 2 through 4 says, uh, He does not live the rest of his earthly life for human desires, but rather for the will of God. For he spent, has spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing, detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them in the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. There's a, a world that doesn't understand anyone who doesn't follow the same pattern, that passage identifies the fact that they'll look a little strange at you if you don't follow the same path of destruction that they are following. I'm glad for the pleasure God gives us, aren't you? Let's take that blessing and allow God to be glorified by it. Whatever he gives us, he wants to use it for his honor and his glory. I believe that. I believe God gives us the emotion of anger to put some fire in our soul to rise up and to, and to be angry at the right things. There's, there's a powerful emotion. I believe that God has given us the ability to have joy so we give a clear and powerful witness to a world that it just hung up on having fun. But there's a big difference, isn't there, between looking for and searching for fun and discovering the reality of pleasure. And there's a world out there today is just looking for another fun fix. 
if we're not careful, can happen in the church. We're just looking for the next fun fix. And in <laughs> there's only one real way. There's only one real way. And it's tragic to see the destruction that happens for people looking for love and looking for fun in all the wrong places. This text that we read this morning pretty well locates it for us. And we don't have to be in church. He didn't say in church is fullness of joy because if that were the case, once we walked out the door, we'd be, we'd be on our own again. But aren't you glad for the constant abiding presence of the Lord? He said, I'm going to be with you always. And it's unchanging. That's why the presence of God and, the, and the, the joy of the Lord is something that is not related to happiness because that is circumstantial and that's going to change. But I rest and you rest this morning on an unchanging Christ. So whether I'm going through a time of grief, I can still find a source of hope and joy. Whether I'm going through difficult times, I still can find a production of one inside who can bring about a joy because he's unchanging and his presence is there all the time. Isn't that good? He is unchanging and he's there with me all the time. Father, I pray that you some thoughts. Our homes, our neighborhoods, wherever we go, there will be an authentic joy. Something that cannot be synthetically produced. But something that is wonderfully, wonderfully produced by the Spirit of God. The unchanging Lord. And every one of us, Lord, if we depended on circumstances to be ideal for us to feel joy it would be short lived at best because life is a series of problems and we need you Lord to help us produce this fruit in the midst of the circumstances that change in life Lord I pray that indeed we will be like you in as much as your presence is unchanging. Your nature is unchanging that, Lord, these things in us will not fluctuate with every changing wind or tide of life. But I pray that more and more we will be made into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, come and produce your fruit in my life today. We live in a world that is filled with hedonism and they've made pleasure their God their goal they're just looking for the next good time but Lord Jesus I pray that something about your church would be so authentic that they would realize how shallow and how empty and how futile that search is that constant driving search for a new fix of fun. I pray that they will begin to realize there's got to be something more than what I've discovered about this life. 
Give us the words and the opportunity at that moment to let them know in his presence there's fullness of joy and at his right hand there's pleasure forevermore. Oh God, if they don't know about forever, let your church be the witness. Oh God, we don't wait until we die to begin to live that forever. But eternal life is ours the moment we come to Christ. We begin to live out forever in that moment. Bless your church today, Lord. I pray indeed you will minister grace in this room today. Help us, Lord, to see ourselves in a mirror. And God, if in any way we've made fun and pleasure our goal or our God, we would just simply turn right back around and say, Lord, I'm sorry. It's in your presence. It's you that I need and want. And you will be the one to supply what money can't. You'll be the one that will be able to supply what any other natural source is unable to do. We just come back to you this morning, the very source and strength of our life. Let this people enjoy life fuller and more complete than anyone else in this community because they know 